Good morning. We're going to be reading this morning from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. You can actually take the Pew Bibles and find this passage on, on page 1015. 1015. So this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Calvary family. How are you all doing good? Nice weather outside. It's always nice to have a nice weekend. I got the opportunity yesterday uh, to not just play soccer, but play pickleball too. So I woke up early, got to do both. So that was a, was a good start to the day in the weekend. Um, it's good to be together here. Happy Mother's Day. It is, uh, I have to let you a little behind the scenes on my sermon prep this week. Um, as you know, we are in the middle of a series titled Essential Church. And the occasion for this sermon series was from kind of two perspectives. One of them was, um, just as Gerald is coming into the senior pastor role, really trying to think through what is his unique way to think about our vision for the church. And really, what is his way of expressing to us as a church family um, what our calling is uh, with each other and in the world. The other occasion uh, was coming out of limited in-person worship and coming uh, back to together. Um, I was going to say post-COVID, but that's obviously not the right word <laughs> to use. I don't think we're post-COVID. Um, but in this changing church world, uh, what does it mean now for us as a church family? Who are we and what is God calling us to? And it felt like a, a really important time and occasion to really freshly uh, articulate uh, what is the vision and mission of the local church. And so as you know, uh, Gerald 
uh, preach the last two. Uh, we have these three uh, concepts, these three values of worship, fellowship, and mission. Gerald preached the last two weeks on worship and fellowship. And so looking at the schedule ahead, I knew I was scheduled for this week and had mission. So I've been uh, preparing that all week, um, and I hope to deliver on that. But I also made another mistake. I was looking back as I was thinking about uh, preparing uh, for the sermon on Mother's Day. I made the mistake of going back and looking at a sermon I did a couple years ago on Mother's Day that was specifically addressing mothers. And as I was reflecting on that, I really was like appreciating some of the things that I brought up because there were concepts that I was like really wrestling with about what it means to be a mother in the world. I have never been and never will be, but I've experienced uh, mothering when I see my own experience of my mother and her resilience and her perseverance. Um, and I look at my own wife and the way she interacts with our children. At the same time, I receive so much of it and it makes me really wonder what God has for that in the world. And so I went back to my sermon and was reflecting on how I can converge these two ideas of motherhood and the mission of the church. And as I went back to reflect, I was really excited to see that I think, stay with me here for a while, I think that motherhood is precisely the way and the lens through which to see the mission of the church. And if we don't view the mission of the church through the lens of mothering, which mothering can be done by mothers of physical children or not, if we don't view the mission of the church through the lens of mothering, I think our posture to the world will be fundamentally off. So as I was reflecting on this, and this was pretty late in the game, I didn't have enough time to organize my thoughts, so I just put all my thoughts down. I've got nine of them. I've got nine thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. Most of the public communication classes I took in college um, did not encourage nine points. So let's prove them wrong, that you can still have effective communication even with nine points. Let's see what we can do this morning. One caveat is that there's three words that are going to kind of shape all of my thoughts this morning. Those are the words hope, life, and love. So you're going to hear that throughout all of my thoughts this morning, reflecting on scripture, hope, life, and love. Thought number one, are we ready? Some are longer than others, so we'll, it won't be equally to each point. First, the mission of the church is based in the reality that we have hope. The whole calling we have as a church in relationship to the rest of the world is predicated on the reality that we have hope. Not that we have ethics, not that we have really interesting ideas, primarily, but that we have hope. We have hope. We believe that all that is to be said about the world and our 
experiences of pain and suffering and wickedness and evil is not the end of the story. That there is a story that God is writing for us as human beings that is hopeful. That something better is yet to come. The mission of the church is based on the reality that we believe God has something better yet to come. We have what Peter calls hope. Second point. We have hope because God is going to restore life. Not just human life, but also the life of all creation. That is our hope, that God is going to restore life as we know it and taste it and see it and smell it and experience it. He's going to restore it, not just for us as human beings, but for all creation. Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Let's hook something really quick we'll come back to. It should not be a surprise to us that when Paul thinks about the pain and suffering and hope of the world, he thinks about the life of a woman. He thinks about the life and the reality of pregnancy and contractions and delivery. Again, for the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we were saved. So this is our hope. Our hope is that God is going to restore life life for all creation. Third point. In the creation story, Eve's name very simply means life. Also, as we just saw, Paul uses the imagery of pregnancy and contractions and delivery as a way to understand our desire and hope for new life. So we're seeing already as we think about our future hope and the longing for a new creation that the creation story itself and Paul's understanding of new creation is seen through the lens of the experience of a woman. Fourth point. I do need to qualify on this fourth point. Not all points are timed equally. We're moving well right now, and I'm noticing that. I think some of you are sensing optimism. We're actually going to get through this quick after all. Heads up, we're going to sit on seven just for a little bit. Fourth point, the existence of women, just the very existence of women represents life. Life. 
The existence of pregnancy and its pain and beauty represents all of our longing for God to restore the world. Just by the mere existence of women in the world, we can have hope that God is going to do something better. As women move around in the world, they represent for us that God has not given up on his good creation. But we must note that in the creation story, there was a moment where the creation wasn't as good as it could be. The presence of man in creation could not represent all that possibly could be in God's goodness and mercy and love. The presence of man on creation was limited in representing how good and how loving and how beautiful God really is. But when he brings into creation woman, God is able to finally say, this is very good. God, I believe, had this deep sense that he could be meaningfully imaged now in the world through man and woman. Fifth thought, if the mission of the church is based in the reality that we have hope that God will restore the life of all creation, then the very existence and presence of women and the life-giving expression of mothering ought to stand before us as a model of all that can be good in the world. Let me say that again. If the mission of the church is based in the reality that we have hope, that God will restore the life of all creation and the very existence and presence of women and the life-giving expression and calling of mothering ought to stand before us all creation as a model of all that can be good in the world. Sixth, God is offering us this life typified in the life of women. Not out of obligation, but rooted in his deep love. When we say that the mission of the church is based in hope, and that we have hope because God is going to restore the life of creation, and that he gave us a very tangible manifestation of that promise to restore to life, to creation through women, all that God does in that and is doing in that is out of his free love. He's not doing that nor offering that out of obligation. He's doing that because he is love. The presence of women that signals to all creation that God has not given up on the world is a gift to creation because God is love. 
We love him because he first loved us. Seventh. Given one through six, it should not be surprising then that Peter's description of how we relate to the world, our mission, sounds a lot like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Having gone back and read through numerous times this week this letter of Peter's and reading it together with Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, I'm so convinced that Peter was deeply impacted by Mary and his vision for how we as Christians ought to live in this world. Let me try to take some time to show, even in the literary expression and the rhetoric that we can make in comparison to Peter's language in his letter and Mary's Magnificat, that Peter very much thought of Mary as a, an example for how all Christians should relate to the world. First of all, if we look at Peter's letter, he tells us in verse 9, and, and I should clarify, I believe in this letter, it is my read on this, that in verse 8 he, and verse 9, he's making a unique transition. So in 8, I think he's uniquely speaking to the Christian community and previous, and 9, I think he's talking to the Christian community about how to relate to the non-Christian community in their context. And so as he transitions into how Christians ought to live in the world, he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. This is the calling Peter has for us. This priestly calling to be a blessing. He goes on to say, but even if in that pursuit you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So not only are we to act as a blessing, but God blesses us in that effort to be a blessing. He says that you are not blessed first without being a blessing yourself. This calling, this language of blessing, is uniquely and specifically a priestly calling. Now let's think about Mary's Magnificat. What is Mary, one of the most famous lines in all of her song? From now on, all generations will call me blessed. I think we see a direct connection to Mary's testimony on how she is going to... We, what does it mean that for all generations she will be called blessed? Not just as a, oh, let's not forget that. No, but as a real tangible way for us to remember how to relate to the world. Mary is an example for us. That is why generations will continue to call her blessed because she gave us something as a woman unique for us to follow. This priestly calling. Now, I've done tried to do a lot of thinking this week about how often 
In the story of the Bible, believers are asked to have a prophetic judgment posture toward the non-Christian world. As best as I can tell, I have not found it. That might be surprising to us. Now, I'm not saying that it may not exist. There may be a unique story within the Bible in which believers are asked to have a posture of prophetic judgment toward the non-Christian world. But it's not obvious. I thought to myself, well, maybe Noah, right? When he was building the ark, he was warning. But in that moment of biblical narrative history, all it was prior to the Abrahamic covenant, and all humanity was a part of a dynamic, of a grouping. And so he very much saw the people he was calling to to get on the ark as one of them. I think it's really hard to find in the story of the Bible where Christians are called to have a prophetic, judgmental posture and identity toward the non-Christian world. But what is evident, thoroughly evident, throughout the story of the Bible is that believers' posture toward non-Christians is priestly. It's advocacy, it's solidarity. Because no matter how complicated or dissonance we experience with them, we have hope. We have hope that God is going to restore life to the world. And our posture toward them is to be like Mary's was, to be a priest. It has been true that God has always localized himself in creation. God localized himself in creation when he came to the garden that was in Eden. And he localized himself. God localized himself in the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. God localized himself in the tabernacle. God localized himself in the temple. And for a unique nine-month period, God localized himself in Mary. The temple of God was the body of Mary as she bore Jesus, as she humbly submitted to the will of the Father. And so Mary is for us the temple of God in a unique moment in history, and at the same time, an advocate for all humanity. She is a priest for the world. And Mary represents for us then, like Mary, we as followers of Jesus, are to fully take in Jesus and be advocates and priests to the world to tell them about the hope we have. So even just simply in this blessing calling, we see that Peter is shaped by Mary's song. But as we continue to see more, we see Peter saying, have no fear of them nor be troubled when you get reviled or you have evil given to you. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord in specific as holy. There's something beautiful about the holiness of God that is offering love. And Mary has that same connection to God's holiness. She says in her Magnificat, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. 
this connection between Mary's faith and trust that when all seems lost, God's holiness will keep her near. And we also see this in the call to humility. We see at the end of verse 8, a humble mind. We also see in chapter 5, humble yourselves therefore down the mighty hand of God. And humility is connected to the mighty hand of God in Peter. Just like it is in Mary's Magnificat. She says, for he who is might, or excuse me, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And so we see this again, this thematic connection between how Peter calls us to relate to the world and how Mary represents that. This humble posture. We see, as Peter says in Humble yourselves at that middle of chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Mary has that same theme in her song. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. This posture that Mary had, one of priestly calling, one of trust that the holiness of God will look out for her, that the might of God can look out for her, that she can embrace the humility that we are called to as human beings. Because at the proper time, he will exalt those of humble estate. Oftentimes we think about what our posture should be toward the world. And we say, well, we do have to be ready. Paul, Peter even says, be ready to give a defense, right? We think, see, we have to like get all our facts down, know all the like pushback they give us and have the right answer to give back. But, but what is the defense? What is the content of the defense in Peter's letter? Be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. It's not a worldview clash of have all the right answers. I'm not saying studying those things and worldviews isn't good. Do that. Fine. That's great. It's helpful. But that's not what Peter's talking about in our posture toward the world. What Peter is talking about in our posture toward the world is Mary. Mary wasn't going to worldview classes just to learn all the things that were right. Mary was humble and trusted the mighty holiness of God to bring about life and love to the world. And what she was was ready to give a defense of the hope that was within her. That's what she was ready to do. How many of you look at your neighbors that might think differently than you, act differently than you, whatever it might be, and their leading posture toward you is one of critique, correction and judgment and when you're going through hardship and pain you think that's who i want to go to that's crazy right we need to be careful as christians i say all the time i'm actually okay with people denying jesus 
I just want to make sure they're denying Jesus. Because sometimes we put so many roadblocks in the way that they're not even hearing what we're saying. I want to ask you, will your neighbor, in their pain, in their genuine pain, is your neighbor looking for you? In the struggles that Oak Park and our surrounding communities experience, are they looking to Calvary and saying there's a hope that lies within them? Tell me about your hope. This is our priestly calling to the world, not to prove people wrong, but when they're hurting to be their priests to God. We believe that we have hope. We believe that God is going to restore life to creation, and we know it because he gave us women. And so we don't need to be mean. We need to give life. We need to listen. What does Peter tell us? How we should be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. Sounds a little bit like Mary. What are the next words? Gentle and respectful. Are you gentle and respectful to your neighbors who are hurting and they want hope? I told you seven was going to be long. I'm sorry. We're going to cruise now. Eight, even in conflict, remain the same. You say, but what if they push back? What if they have really good points that I don't know how to prove wrong? What if they revile me? What if they're giving me evil? Stay the course. Be like Mary. Stay the course. Listen. Understand. Maybe some of us, how many of us have been reviling toward people and it actually was found out we were hurting? And so we were defending ourselves by reviling because we didn't want to expose the hurt that was there. Maybe they're doing that. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe you don't have to have all the right answers, but maybe you can love. Even in conflict, even in suffering. The church here was an interesting church. This was a primarily Gentile community of believers that were saying to their neighbors, we now follow this Messianic Jew that rose from the dead. That's not a normal message. And they were reviled for this now. But Peter says to them, let your good works, let your love be what's seen. Don't return evil for evil. In conflict, remain the same. Why? Not only because of Mary's example, but because Jesus suffered too. Peter reminds us over and over, Jesus suffered too. I wonder if Peter, when he was saying that, thought of, you remember the scene in the garden when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and Peter hacks off Malchus's ear? And we only know it's Peter from John. He kind of told on him. And what does Jesus do? He heals Malchus' ear. He didn't return evil for evil. He rebuked Peter. He didn't revile back for revile, but he healed. He gave life and hearing back to his enemies. Christ suffered too. While Mary is not our Savior, 
Both Mary and Jesus are our examples of how to relate to the world. And we can even endure suffering because Jesus suffered too. Ninth, as we, we can endure suffering and as we endure suffering, be like Mary. Give life by faithfully loving because we have hope. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that we have hope. Don't get lost in a battle you don't need to fight. We have hope. Don't ever lose that. Peter reminds us, because of God's great mercy, we are born again. We've been given new life because of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that what happens to him can happen to us. He goes on to say we have an inheritance. The entire new creation is there for us. He says grace will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. And then he also goes on to say he will exalt you at the proper time. And so we can suffer and be like Mary. Now, I feel like if I would have told you that I had actually 10 points, I'm not sure if I would have kept you all. I have one more. So hopefully you don't walk away and say I'm a liar. A little bit. I have one more point. We can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. I've heard it said that worship fuels mission. I don't think so. Worship fuels fellowship. Fellowship fuels mission. Worship fuels fellowship. Fellowship fuels mission. That's why we have all of this hanging together. Worship, fellowship, and mission. The calling is not to have some worship experience with Jesus, ignore all of you, and just go save the world by ourselves. That's not the calling. The calling is to have genuine, meaningful worship experience with God because of what he's done for us in his great love and to live that together and to share that together through food, through drink, through conversations around our struggles and pains. And in that, we're on mission in the world. That is Jesus' high priestly prayer is that the world around would see the unity and love we have for each other and be compelled to want to ask us, what is the hope that lies within you? Because we're going to wrong us. We have an opportunity to practice with each other how the world will treat us because you're crazy if you think the Christians won't revalue you. You're crazy if you think Christians won't deliver to you evil. Because they will, and we do it with the best of them. So this becomes a training ground to be tender-hearted and forgiving as God and Christ forgave us. And this kind of fellowship fuels mission. Don't ask the world to take care of things we haven't taken care of ourselves. We have to show a community of Jesus followers 
that there is hope in the world, that God is going to give us new life, and then uh, not out of obligation, but freely give to each other love. We must do this together. And so Peter asks us directly from the life of Jesus, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. May this be our experience here at Calvary as we try to live well together and as we try to invite the world around us to our family so that they too may have hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for getting me through 10 points. Thank you that you met me with forgiveness. You met me with grace. Because if you weren't the first loved me, I would have never loved you back. That is all of our experience here, Father. And so I pray that we will be the same for the world. I pray that we would give them lives and stories in which they can look at and ask, what is their hope? Our hope is that Jesus died for our sins. Our hope is that God's Spirit is going to come to us and give us new life, make us new. Father, our hope is that you've done that and collected us to do it and live that life out in community together. And may we invite the world around us to belong. In Jesus' name. Amen.